Welcome. Let's, let's get into God's Word this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the Word of God that is in our language and in our hands. That means we can understand it and we can take it wherever we go. It is not something that is uh, retained only with the pulpit. It's not only in church, but anywhere, anytime, your Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And for the bulk of the time, we are alone and we're in the dark. So thank you that you thought about that much in advance. Thank you, Father God, for those who are here. And I pray for those who are with us online and will join us through the day. Spoken and unspoken needs, concerns that grow deep within the heart, loneliness, anxiety, anger, bitterness, toxic emotions, things that cripple us, fears that fill us with despair. Lord God, you look into our hearts and you, the greatest physician, see what we need. The wonderful counselor, see what we need. And Father God, you minister to every single one at their point of need. Not just for today, but for 2019, we ask for a strong year, a strong year in the word, a strong year in your presence, individually, as families, and as a community of faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome to 2019, a year of Bible engagement. Fill in your blanks. Our aim for this year is deeper Bible engagement. Our, year for, our aim for this year is deeper Bible engagement. I got it out of, I got it out of B-E, be holy. The Bible says be holy and you spell be holy with B-E. And B-E is going to be Bible engagement. You can't be holy without the word of God in you. You can't be holy without God's word giving you his will and his strength from within you. So, Bible engagement. What does engagement mean? What do, I, what do I mean by engagement? Well, it means, like if you were to get a text from a loved one, how many times is too much? You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? So when we say, I, I read the Bible once a day, uh, I talk to my wife once a day. <laughs> That's not going to work. That is not going to work. So engagement is every now and then just a text coming in. Literally a text of scripture coming in. A text of the word coming in. And you engage with it a little bit. Sometimes you ask it a question. Sometimes you think about what it means. Sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, wow, I really needed that for right now. Those kind of things, right? So... Like yesterday, for instance, a scripture came to me. It was not quite a scripture, but just a, 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 a thought came to me. As I saw it on one of those graphics with all the flowers and everything. It says, uh, until a door closes, another one won't open for you. You know, sometimes the door has to close for another one to open. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like that, when scripture comes at you, Bible engagement happens three, four, five, six, seven, eight times a day. Eight times a day. Sometimes it's on the wall. Sometimes it's on your... Uh, you've printed it and you've put it on your pinboard. Sometimes it's on your dashboard. Sometimes it's on your wallpaper on the phone, which you look at a lot. Yes? So we have Bible apps, either version or uh, GoTandem, T-A-N-D-E-M, GoTandem. Download that app. And that just sends, sends you like reminders. It sends you texts. And you like look at it. Give it literally 30 seconds. 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Look at it. Answer the question in your head, boom, move on. 
Just like you would respond to a text, somebody's loving text. And look at it, done. That's it. It's not your quiet time. I'm not talking about quiet time. I'm not talking about Bible study. Should you have Bible study? Absolutely. Should you have your quiet times every day, daily time with the Lord? Absolutely. We'll talk about that later. But I'm talking about Bible engagement, right? How do you engage the Word of God and how often do you engage the Word of God? And if it's only once a week, twice a week, if it's only once a day, then it's not a relationship. It's not a relationship. A relationship is when there's constant ongoing, constant ongoing. I mean, you text somebody and then they don't respond. You're like, why you didn't respond to my text? You didn't respond to my, why didn't you respond? So if God was to speak to you and you don't speak back, if you were to speak to God and God didn't speak back, you see what I'm saying? A relationship is both ways. Another thing I want us to learn to this morning or talk about, think about this morning is how do you learn? How do you learn? Each and every one of us learns differently. And over the last 10 years, I've, you know, part of my study in the major that I did and um, communications and learning skills and whatnot, we all learn differently. Some are the eye gate learner. No, this is the eye. Some are the eye gate learner and some are the ear gate learner and some are the action learners. So some kids learn by doing, some kids learn by listening, some kids learn by reading. And we learn differently. So as you engage the scriptures, you're going to want the word of God in your heart, right? As you learn the scriptures, you're going to want to put it inside you. I'm going to say something very deep. I'm going to say something very deep. The word of God works only when it is within you. Isn't that deep? Yeah. The word of God within you works when it is within you. I know that's deep, but that's how it works. Petrol in the car is helpful. Petrol outside the car is not helpful. Vitamins in the body is helpful. Vitamins in the bottle is not helpful. You getting with that where I'm going with this? Right. So the word of God has to be in me. But you and I learn differently. You and I learn differently. So if you told me something, I would remember it. I'll remember every word. I can say the whole thing back to you. 45 minutes, I can listen to you and I can say everything back to you. I, I can remember the tone. I can remember the emphases. I can, every part of what you said to me, I will remember you, right? Right. And if I read a book, I can read a page and I turn the page. I've forgotten. It's gone. I can read a page twice and the second time it'll be like I was reading for the first time. That's how bad it is. When I get to the bottom and I remember, I don't remember which page I was on. Reading just, I don't know why, but it's like, it just doesn't get through to me. Maybe it's a Mount Carmel thing or something. I don't know. But it just doesn't stick. But if you spoke to me, it sticks. You get what I'm saying? So some of you have to do something. You have to make it. You have to write it. And if you're going to learn it, you write it, write it, write it, write it, write it. Remember those registers when we used to keep writing it over and over and over again? It was like punishment, right? We write it and then we learn it. I don't care. You pick your way. You pick your way, but you and I are going to learn scripture. We're going to learn a chunk of scripture every single month of this year. You and me, we're going to learn every single month of this year. How many months? 12 months as far as I'm concerned. And we're going to learn 12. And if you say, I can do better than that, please do. Please do. But as a church, as a community, from the children all the way to the older children, we are going to learn 
scripture, right? So the three M's that we're going to work through over here, three M's for this morning. Number one is memorization. That's putting it inside me. Scripture memorization. What is the Hindi word for memorization? What? Yaad karlana. Yaad se. I don't like that word. There's got to be a more powerful word to it. Yaad, yaad, yaad dash, no, I don't know. What's the Russian word for memory? To memorize. Vomits. All right? The second thing we want to do is meditate because you can't meditate on something that's not inside. It has to come from inside. Regurgitate is what you've already taken in and you're regurgitating it. Now you're going to memorize, meditate on what you have memorized. And we're going to talk about memory, uh, meditation as well. And I want to make the difference. I want to teach you the difference. I want to un help us to understand how to meditate the biblical way. There is yogic meditation. There is transcendental meditation. There is transmedical meditation. But there is also biblical meditation. And we'll talk about that. So the first M is memorization. Because the word in you, within you, is what is going to give you the strength within you, right? Number two is to meditate, and number three is to mediate. M-E-D-I-A-T-E, -E, mediate. That's your three M's. The three M's for 2019. Mediate is to pray God's word out, right? So you breathe in, right? And then you breathe out. When you breathe in, <coughs> you breathe in the word of God. When you breathe out, please breathe out the word of God. So when you pray according to God's will, you've got a better chance that your prayer is getting answered. Okay? When you pray according to your own will, there's more chances God is going to go, nah. And a lot of our prayer lives are mostly God going, nah. I don't think so. Uh, Pastor, God never answers my prayer. He just never answers my prayer. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't answer prayer. That God, you're right, God doesn't answer your prayer. So if you want God to answer your prayer, your prayer should be his word. When his word is your prayer, your prayer will get his answers. So, yeah. Number three is? Mediate. So when we pray, pray for our loved ones, pray for our uh, neighbors, pray for people around us, we begin to pray the will of God out because we have been meditating on the word of God, which we have memorized. You know, most Christians don't know more than two to three, three verses of scripture. Most Christians, most people who claim to know Jesus personally don't know scripture. And if you don't know scripture, how on earth is it going to help you? How is it going to strengthen you, right? <coughs> So we know God, for God so loved the world, and we know God helps those who help themselves. Okay, so this is the first passage which you're going to do for January. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Um, can you read it for us? Let me read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify himself for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, re exhort, rebuke, 
all authority. Let no one disregard you. Who's talking to whom? Paul is talking to Titus. Titus is a young pastor. He's setting himself up as a, as a pastor of a church. And Paul is telling Titus, the next generation pastor, this is what you got to do and this is what you got to teach the, the body of Christ. This is how the body of Christ should live. It's all packed into one passage. And that's why I like to learn this passage because it's got <coughs> almost five, all five uh, purposes in there. Are you ready? This is not a deep Bible study. I'm just going to, I just want you to know the meaning of a passage you're learning by heart. Because practice makes? No, practice makes permanent. Yeah? Practice makes permanent. You practice the wrong thing. <laughs> so you've you got to understand it. You've got to know it before you put it into your mind. Okay. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Circle grace. The word grace carries many levels of meaning. And God uses it in different ways to help you understand how God comes to us. Jesus is the grace of God. His, his benevolence and his, his unmerited favor is the grace of God. His enabling to walk holy, to walk humbly is the grace of God. His presence with you through times of trouble and loneliness and sickness is the grace of God. You get where I'm going with this? So there are different things and they're all called the grace of God. God, the grace of God has appeared. It showed up. How does it, how is it shown up? When the grace of God appeared, it brought salvation for all people. Now who brought salvation for all people? Jesus did. So Jesus is being referred to as the grace of God. He brought the grace of God. And the first and foremost thing that the grace of God gives you and me and everyone else is salvation. For who people? All people. Who people? All people. Number one. Grace appeared bringing salvation, bringing with it salvation for all people. That's evangelism. That's evangelism. God wants the grace of God to be given to all people. God wants everyone to know. God wants his people to share that grace. It has brought salvation and we are to declare that as he says in verse 15. All right. The next thing the grace of God does is give you training. Training. Hindi word for training? Russian word for training? Abhyas? Exercise. Okay, don't worry. Anyway, you're all Anglo-Saxon. Training. The second thing it does is training. And this training gives you two things. Look at it. Training us to do, to not to do something and to do something. To put off something and to put on something. Training us, number one, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What is ungodliness? Behavior that is not of God. Behavior that is not of God. You don't mimic God. You let God flow through you. So when <coughs> behavior that is not flowing through you from God, but it's coming from you, that's ungodly behavior. To renounce ungodliness and to renounce worldly passions. We'll come back to this in just a bit. And the second thing is to live three ways. Number one, self-controlled. That's the flesh. Number two, upright. That means righteously, within parameters, to live under the law, within parameters of the law. When you go across the law, you transgress, you are lawless. You're lawless. But within the law, you are lawful. You are upright. To live upright. Number three, to live godly lives in the present age. That's the opposite of the first part he said, which is ungodliness. So there's ungodliness and then there is godly lives. What enables you to live a godly life? 
the grace of God. The grace of God enables you to put off and to put on. The grace of God enables you to put off worldly desires, to put off ungodliness, and to put on godliness, uprightness, and uh, self-control. Without the grace of God, you are powerless. I'm going to say it one more time. Listen carefully. Without the grace of God, you are powerless. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. It flows from me to you, not from you to me. And Christians who try to live from you to me, from them to God, are frustrated because they can just never get it right because they're looking for a strength from within them to do what only God can do. But when they allow God to work through them, then they, believe, then they see the grace of God active. Because it's the grace of God that's bringing salvation. It's the, are you getting this? It's the grace of God that's bringing salvation. It's the grace of God that's bringing training. It's the grace of God that's bringing godliness. It's the grace of God that's helping you self-control. The grace of God. And what is the grace of God? How does the grace of God come and work in you? The word of God. So without the word of God in you, within you, the grace of God is not going to work through you. Right? So what do you have to do? What's my part? Just let the word of God Get in there. Pack it in with the word. Pack your heart with the word. Pack your, your mind with the word. This year, I want every single one of us to have a relationship with your own Bible and have a notebook. Have a notebook that goes with your Bible because you don't want to write in the Bible. You don't want to fill it. There's no space. I want you to have a clean Bible. I want you to have, I want you to have a Bible with no margins. Just clean, big text. You can underline, you can highlight, that's okay, that's not against the law. But when you write it, write it over there, because you might scratch it and change it next year. This won't change, that'll change. Oh. Yeah, I've been there. I've been doing this for a while. Okay, so you got your Bible and you got your notebook, and I want every single one to be engaging the text, engaging the Word, getting into the Word. Why? Because the Word of God will give you grace. The grace of God will give you two things. It'll give you uh, ability to renounce ungodliness and it will give you the ability to live self-control, upright uh, lives. What is your motivation? Verse 13, what is your motivation? Waiting for the blessed hope. You're hoping for something? What? Waiting for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now who? That's Jesus. Verse 14. Who? That's Jesus. But the waiting is for the appearing, the appearing of the glory of God. Go back to verse 11. Go back to verse 11. Verse 11 said, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace has appeared. But in verse 12 and 13, the glory of God will appear. Where are you? Are you with me? Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared and it brought salvation. But the glory of God will appear and we are hoping for that. So we are motivated by the glory of God ahead of us and we are driven and empowered by the grace of God within us. The grace of God has appeared and the glory of God will appear. And in both cases it is Jesus. Okay, the grace of God was Jesus bringing salvation. The glory of God, what does it say? Appearing of the glory of God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So his previous coming enables us and his future coming 
empowers us. It, it motivates us. That's your verse 13 right there. That's the motivation with which you give attendance to verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 14, who, that is Jesus, gave himself. He gave himself. So in verse 11, you talk about salvation to everybody, that's evangelism. Verse 12 and 13, you talk about training, that's discipleship. In verse 14, you talk about Jesus who gave himself for us. Do, you cannot do anything of real importance. You cannot do anything of ministry if you don't give yourself. If you don't give yourself, you, your heart, your affections, your attention, your body, if you are not available, if you're not available, you cannot give yourself. Thessalonians, Paul says to the Thessalonians, they're wonderful people, they gave generously. First they gave of themselves, and then they gave of what they had. It's very easy to give of what you have. It's very easy to write a check, very easy to give resources, very easy to give advice, but very hard to give yourself. When you give yourself, you're saying, I'll be there. Body and soul, I'll be there. You know? Someone said to me two, two weeks ago, they came to church. Uh, they were, you know, those the CEO Christians. You know CEO Christians? Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> so, you know, they were like, Pastor, we're, we're with you in spirit. We're with you in spirit, just not the body. Jesus is saying, no, I want body also. You can't say, I'm with you, I'm available, if the body doesn't show up. Therefore, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present our bodies. So Jesus, first and foremost, as an example, gave himself. He did it for two reasons. Number one, to redeem us from lawlessness. Mm -hmm, interesting. Connect lawlessness to verse... 12, upright, okay? He did that for you. The grace of God is able to you for you to live uprightly because Jesus redeemed you from all lawlessness. He bought you back. You had transgressed the law, he paid your fine. You had transgressed the law, he paid your bill and he bought you back. He paid for your conviction, he bought you back. That's what he did for you. But now he's doing something for himself. Number two, and to purify for himself a people, a particular people, a peculiar people, to purify for himself a people of his own possession. So Christ is doing something. He's taking a certain number of people and he's purifying them for a purpose, for his own possession. So over there, you have him giving himself to you, that's ministry, and then Getting you to be a people, a particular community where he shows his love by cleansing you constantly. This morning I stood here and I took the bread and the wine and I said, this is the body of Christ that was broken for you. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Why do we do this so often? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we do that? Because he is purifying us constantly. Last week we sinned. This week we will sin. And we constantly need to come under the blood of Christ. And Jesus does that. Jesus is, is the Lord. He's the Savior. And he's got the church, which is the bride. And he's purifying the bride for himself. He's preparing a bride to give to himself. He's not a husband who points fingers at his wife and says, you're not like this, you're not like this, you're not like that. He's a husband who takes his wife and makes her, loves her into what he wants her to be to him. 
And that's what Jesus does for the bride. And the bride is that fellowship of people. It's that group of people from which we get the word fellowship. So we are called to be his people. So he does one thing for you, but he does another thing for himself. What is, what's he doing for himself? He's purifying a people for himself. So why is he purifying you? Because he wants a relationship with you. Why is he keeping you pure? Because he wants uninterrupted communication. He wants to love you and he wants to be loved by you. It's a relationship. So why is he purifying and cleansing us? So that there is always that relationship. Two things it does. Who? That's Jesus. Gave himself. Why? Two reasons. Number one, to redeem. Number two, to purify us. Okay? What kind of people? To purify himself a people for his own possession. What kind of people? Who are zealous for, zealous for saint, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. Hang on, hang on. This good works is not karma. Okay? This is not karma. This is not good works versus bad works. Where you say, I do some good works and I do some bad works and we balance that whole thing out. No. This good works is what God has prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, 9 and 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he had created man, he looked at creation and he said, it was good okay good works is what god does look at me and say it in your head to yourself good works is what god does we're not worried about your good works okay our good works are like filthy rags forget the good works okay forget the bad works forget the good works the bad works are covered by the blood of christ the good works are not worth talking about right the works we want to talk about is what god is doing through me so what God does through me is the good he's talking about. Track with me. God wants a people that he purifies and cleanses so that he can do good works through them. If they are not clean, the good works will get stuck. They'll get blocked. If you're not clean, like a channel, like a pipe, like a conduit, you will become a blockage. But if you are clean, you will become a conduit of the goodness of God. And that's the good works that God is looking for. Good works that he has prepared in advance for to you to do through you. Everybody with me? Okay, so that's the good work that these people are called to do. Who are these people? The church, the bride of Christ. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be serving the world around us. We're supposed to be loving the people around us. We're supposed to be fixing the broken around us. We're supposed to be crying for the mourning around us. We're supposed to be giving to the needy around us. We are supposed to be the church, his people. What Jesus did on earth is what he expects his church to do on earth. If we sit here, feel sorry for ourselves, listen to messages that encourage ourselves, dress well, feel good, pat each other on the back and go home saying hallelujah, we are not being the church. If we get out, get involved, get dirty, get our hands in, in the mud, Get involved in the lives of people and fix the brokenhearted. Get them the gospel. Get them the good news. Then we are being the church. So in 2019, what are we going to be? For he has called us a people to himself who are zealous for good works. What's the word zealous come from? A pure passion and an enthusiasm for. That zealous was used for the Lord Jesus, where he said he will come zealous to do God's will. 
zealous to do God's will. And God has called a people to himself who are zealous for good works. Not our good works. What good he does through us. So what is God calling you to do this year? You say, what is God's will for my life? To do good works. What good works? Well, read the Bible. Hear from him every day and obey him every day. I don't know if you would heard my, my midnight devotion on 31st night. I talked about a year of obedience, new obedience. To learn from the word and say, Lord, this is what you want me to do. You want me to talk to that person? You want me to go visit that person? You want me to give towards that need? You want me to get involved? You want to sacrifice this? You want me to give up that relation? I'll do it. Whatever I have to do, I will do it for what you want me to do through me. Two reasons. Because you're clean, because you're redeemed. Okay? So that's where he ends that. He's got evangelism, he's got ministry, he's got fellowship, and he's got discipleship. You live like that, you live for worship. But then he says, verse 15, to Titus. Paul says to Titus. Because church leaders need a little extra oomph, right? Chapter 1 and chapter 3, he tells us what to talk about. But in chapter 2, he says why you need to talk about this. And he says, this is what he's called the church to do. Verse 5, he says three things. Number 1, declare. Don't whisper it. Don't write it on the post-it and leave it around. Don't write books and quietly stick it on a shelf. Get in front of a camera and declare it. Go on the net and declare it. Speak it loud. The sound doctrine of God. Not ancy fancy stuff that people want to hear and feel good about themselves. Oh wow, yeah, you can do it. Everything is yours. This is your world, your year. Come on, it's all about you. No, it's not about you. Speak the sound doctrine of God. Stick to the word of God. And then chapter 1 and chapter 2, two and chapter 3 actually spell out that. Number 1 is to declare. What? These things. These things, the stuff he's just talked about in verse 1 and chapter 1, chapter 2. Number 2 is exhort. Exhort is to encourage in a good way. Come on, you're doing great. Pick up the word, pick up your talent, pick up your shape. Whatever shape is, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality and experience. Pick it up. Let's serve God. What are we going to do together this year? What are we going to work on together this year? Pick it up. That's exhortation. The other part of exhortation is rebuke. Number 3. Look at your verse. Number three is rebuke. Because people do wrong. Rebuke them. But <laughs> I don't have the right, I don't feel confident to rebuke the people in my church. Why? Oh, because then they'll cut my salary. <laughs> then go get a job so that you don't have to live on the salary that people are giving. So that people in the church are not telling you what to preach and what not to preach. So that people in the church are not telling you what to give and what not to give. Yeah? Pastors need to stay, and leaders and preachers of the word, teachers of the word, need to stay disconnected from the emotions and the influences of people so that they can preach the word. And they need to look to God for their provision. So, rebuking is a difficult thing. Exhorting the easy air. Exhorting the everybody gets excited. It's like receiving flowers. Who doesn't want that? Eh? But rebuking, who wants to do that? Who wants to receive that? It's funny, Paul even talks about, in another passage of scripture, Paul talks about correcting the Cretans. I don't know if you remember the Cretans. The Cretans are liars. Do you remember that? It's there somewhere in the Bible. He says Cretans are liars. Cretans are, 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 are an ethnic group. You know where they're from? Yes! 
Cretans, Cretans are from Crete. Brilliant. So Cretans from Crete are an ethnic group. And he says, rebuke the Cretans because they are compulsive liars. Okay, so the word of God isn't just correcting you personally, isn't just correcting a marriage or a family or a situation, isn't just speaking to a lifestyle, but it's also speaking to culture. Are you with me? There are certain cultural wrongs that an entire ethnicity takes on. Different cultures. And pastors, leaders, should have the audaciousness to speak to their own culture. It's very easy to stand here and, and curse the US or curse Europe or curse Africa. Very easy to do that. But to stand and curse or to correct our own wrongs in our own society. So what is Paul saying to Titus? Declare, exhort, and rebuke. In what way? How? What language? With all authority. With all authority. Then he adds this one more thing that all younger leaders need to learn. And if you're a younger leader, listen to this. This is the word of God. Let no one disregard you. Nah, that's not a good word. In the other versions, in the original, you know, the NKJV, it says let no one disrespect you or dishonor you. Let no one put you down because you're a young person. If you know the word and you know what's right, you say it. You say it, even if some grandfather wants to change it. You say it. Let no one disregard you. All right? That's the meaning of the text. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn the, this passage by heart. And every Sunday, at the end of the service or somewhere in the service, we're going to say the whole passage together. Okay? So don't cheat. No cheating. Yeah. You can learn it however you want to. You can write it out. You can... I don't know. You do what you have to do. But verse by verse, through the week, make it a family thing, make it a marriage thing, make it a friendship thing, small groups, do whatever you have to do, no problem. Three M's for this morning, for this year. Number one, <coughs> memorization. Number two, meditation, meditation. not medication, meditation. And number three, mediation. mediation. Very good, very good.